years ago, I was uh, doing youth ministry, and uh, there was a young lady in our church who, who I had known her most of her life. She'd grown up there, and we were doing an event, regional event, and I asked her if she would share a testimony. And she goes, she said to me, well, you know, I, I don't really have a testimony. And I go, well, what do you mean you don't have a testimony? She goes, well, I, I've kind of just been here my whole life. She goes, I never really, you know, like did drugs or anything. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I think that's the best kind of testimony. And so I just think, I just say that to say that it is, a, it is a blessing to be able to pray for these little ones and to know that they're going to be surrounded with community and with love throughout the course of their life, and that will be their testimony too. So amen. Bless you guys. Bless you parents. It's not easy being parents. Amen? All right. Hey, we're, we're, uh, if you have not been with us recently, we are in a teaching series on the book of 1 John. And the title of our series is Being a Real Spiritual Person. And our focus is on authentic Christianity. John is, is writing this particular letter to refute uh, a number of different groups. There are several groups uh, that have formed that are claiming that they have relationship with God, but their lives and their behavior and, and, and some other things that they believe and say would be somewhat inconsistent with, with that. Uh, so, so that's why he's writing. And you might go, okay, well, what does that have to do with us today? And I, and I think it has a lot to do with us today. Um, as I mentioned in the introduction to this series, there are a lot of people, uh, about 80% or so, roughly, in the United States today, who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, if you ask them. They go, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what does that mean, really? Does that mean that uh, America is a Christian country, and so because I live here, I'm a Christian? Does it, is that what it means, or does it mean that I go to church, so therefore I'm a Christian? Does it mean that I have a certain belief system, I believe these things, and so that means I'm a Christian? Does it mean that one time I was somewhere and, and I prayed this prayer, I raised my hand, I prayed this prayer, is that, is that what it means? John tells us that a, uh, a true follower of Jesus, uh, a true Christian, is someone who has had a transformational experience in the course of their life that has changed everything. It has impacted how they live, it's impacted their relationships, it's certainly impacted their beliefs, it's impacted everything. So the, uh, that's where we're at thus far. The next section of this uh, book, though, takes a little bit of a left turn. And it talks about uh, the time that we live in. So our title this morning is, What Time Is It? And with that, I think we'll pray. Father, thanks again for just the blessing of your presence here today, for family and friends and the opportunity to worship together with you. Uh, we ask, Lord God, that you would just uh, open our hearts this morning to receive your word and what you have for us, that we might grow closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so it, it strikes me, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. And, and in fact, I would say if you're awake, you realize that the world we live in today is a little bit crazy. In fact, I'm gonna, I think it's beyond a little bit crazy. I think it's flat out nuts. I mean, it's crazy. Um, can we talk politics for just a minute? Oh, yeah. Hey, look, okay, I'm not going to take sides. I'm going to say this, though. That and, and, and the sides are so divided today, 
much more so than ever in history. If you People say that. I've never seen it like this before. Well, you know what? You're right. You never have seen it like this before. It's never been like this before. In fact, uh, there's a, a social scientist, political scientist at Ohio State University, did a little study. He says that not only is the political divide in America the worst it's ever been here, it's just about the worst it's ever been anywhere. He studied this, and he said that, here, here's his, the results say that in the 1990s, there was a civil war in Mozambique, and at the end of that war, the political divide was worse than it is in the United States today, and other than that, we win. This, this is the absolute worst political divide ever in the history of the world anywhere. And, it, and it's not, it's, it's interesting to me because most of my life, uh, political divides are really about the issues. I believe this, you believe that. It's not even about the issues anymore. It's personal. People are just uh, you know, writing and saying and tweeting and posting very unkind things about each other on both sides of the aisle. I mean, it's just amazing to me uh, how mean-spirited people can be. You know, we, we live in, I, I consider it a blessing. We live in one of the most, the safest, most powerful, wealthiest countries in the world. And yet we live in fear. There is a study done by uh, Chapman University. Top fears of 2017. This is uh, in the United States of America. Number one, corrupt government officials, 75% of the people in our country are either afraid. That number on the right is a percentage uh, that say that they're either afraid or very afraid. Uh, one year ago, 2016, corrupt government officials was also number one, but it was at 60%, so 15% more people this year than last year. American health care, Trump care, number two, 55%. A year ago, 2016, also in the top ten, only it said American health care, Obamacare. So it doesn't matter whose care it is, people are just concerned about it. They're either afraid or very afraid. Three and four are interesting to me, both dealing with water. Fear of pollution of oceans, rivers, lakes, pollution of drinking water. Uh, let me say this. Good morning, America. It's about time we wake up. Most of the rest of the world lives with water insecurity. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people die every year because they don't have clean drinking water. And we're finally catching on that this is a problem. I was in Costco the other day, which was my first mistake. But, uh, you know, the news had just come on about the drinking water in Salem. So I was in the Costco in Wilsonville, and there were lines of people, massive lines of people with giant Costco shopping carts stacked full of water. There's a fear. And I'll tell you this. This is my prediction. Water is the next oil. In the years ahead, prices are going to fluctuate. They're going to go up. People that have water are going to hoard water. People that don't have water are not going to give people water that need water. I think that's the way it's going to go. Water is scarce. Why? Because it's going away. Not having enough money for the future, I think we all have that fear. High medical bills goes along with number two. This is where it gets interesting. Number seven, 48.4%, almost half of the people in the United States of America today are afraid that the U.S. will be involved in another world war. Coming in behind that, global warming and climate change, and then number nine, North Korea using nukes. People are afraid that we could be the recipient of a nuclear attack. And then number 10, air pollution. A year ago, number 7 and number 9 were not on the list at all, anywhere. Uh, the top 10 included things like people I love dying. 
identity theft, and people I love becoming seriously ill. Those are fears we have, right? Those are things that could actually, you know, in the course of normal life a actually happen, and people were afraid of that. They don't even rank anymore because people today are afraid that we might be engaged in another world war or that we might get bombed. It's a fearful, fearful place to live. It's a fearful time to live in. Uh, I thought you, the, the list went down to number 80. I, I just thought I'd share with you the bottom of the list, too. You need to know. Number 76, clowns. 6.7% of people in America today are afraid of clowns. Let's just, survey says, huh? who's afraid of clowns? Anybody? Yeah, I knew you were. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say, I, you know, I don't know if I'm like afraid, but they're kind of creepy, really. Seriously, thinking, clowns. Blood. Uh, number 78, zombies. And number 79, ghosts. I thought it was interesting that more people are afraid of zombies than ghosts. I, I, I don't know. And then last, uh, bottom of the list was animals. Dogs, rats, etc. In case you didn't know what animals were. Uh, and so, and I like dogs and rats together. That's weird to me. It's like, I like dogs. I don't really like rats. I don't get it. But that's <clears throat> the point, really, though. All I'm trying to say here in all of this is that it's crazy, right? It's, 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 it's an interesting and crazy, crazy world we live in. John tells us, dear children, it's because we live in the last hour. He says the last hour is why things are the way they are. So, uh, you know, parenthetical note here, there's different opinions on this. Uh, I'm going to go with that when we talk about, when Bible talks about last days, end times, last hour, that they all mean the same thing, that those are synonymous. So John is saying that, uh, it's it's the it's the end end times. It's the last hour. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you've probably heard something about end times. Uh, if you're a little bit older, <clears throat> and you maybe grew up in the '70s or '80s, as I know, there's just a few of you here. You uh, you heard a lot about end times. Uh, the, the evangelical church in America in the '70s and '80s had what I would consider a very unhealthy obsession with end times and trying to predict uh, when everything was going to come to a close. Uh, one book was written, there's a number of books written, but one that I like, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. No, this is legit. This book, when, when it was written, and he's got the dates, he predicts the dates. It'll be either September 11th, 12th, or 13th of 1988. So a couple, now I'm not even going to go into that, but so when he wrote the book, the guy mailed out 450,000 copies free to pastors and, and Christian leaders all around the country, and the book sold 4 million copies. There's no Amazon. 4 million people went to the bookstore to buy it, and check this out. So uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network, TBN, interrupted their normal programming the days leading up to this, and had special programming on how to prepare for the rapture. Which I, I missed, I didn't see that, I would love to see that. What do you do? How do you get ready for something that's actually not going to happen? Um, oh, I said it, didn't I? What are we talking about when we're talking about the end times? This is, that's my little chart. Uh, we're talking really about the period of time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. That's what we're talking about. And so with that in mind, John was right, and, and we, are in the, we are in the last time. We've been the last times for 2,000 years. We're waiting. We don't know when it's going to end. And so guys like our friend there that wrote that book, uh, they, they miss it. They don't get it. We don't know. 
But it is, it, 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 some of the things that we see and experience today in the world are because of the time that we live in. John goes on to tell us, dear children, that uh, one of the reasons we know we're in the last hour is that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. In the same way that America was obsessed with end times, I think there was also kind of a, uh, this thing of trying to figure out who the Antichrist was. If you're going to be the president of the United States, it should be in your job description. You will be accused of being the Antichrist. Just if you doesn't matter who you are. If you if you get elected president, somebody's going to say you you're you're, you're the Antichrist. Um, in fact, there it is, Ronnie Reagan. R- Reagan was the Antichrist because. His name has three words, Ronald Wilson Reagan, each word having six letters, so therefore 666 is the number of the beast. So Reagan was the Antichrist because of that, uh, which I, I just think is kind of ridiculous. I mean, look at that guy. You can't see him very good, but that's a handsome man. I'm just going to say, and I'm going to also add, I'm going I'm to go way on a limb here. I said, that is some presidential hair right there. If you're going to be president, that's what your hair should look like. Um, thank you. Uh, but every world leader and pretty much every president from then to now, somebody has said they're the Antichrist. I'm sure there were any number of people thought Obama was the Antichrist. Okay, look, if you want to have some fun. All right. Uh, no political significance whatsoever. I'm on record. No spiritual significance whatsoever. Pure entertainment. Just Google Trump Antichrist, okay? I'm, t- I'm serious. Just Google Trump Antichrist. Read for about 30 minutes and then remind yourself that these people are actually serious. Um, in the same way that the kingdom of God has broken into the time that we live in uh, and the age to come has begun, it's not been completed. And so uh, the, the darkness... And dark age, the, the old age, and the presence of this thing called the Antichrist are, are still active. And so what we see is kingdoms in conflict. We have light and darkness happening all at the same time. And we see that in the world today, don't we? There's light. Good things are happening. There's good things happening in the world today. I was in Mexico last week, I shared, and it was just a blessing. man. I just saw people whose hearts were hungry for the Lord, people who loved and cared for one another, people who are overcoming obstacles in their life, people who are, are really living the way that God has called them to live. Uh, God is moving. I think that people are coming to know who God is. There's freedom from oppression in countries. There's healing happening. There's racial reconciliation happening, I think, in a, in a beautiful and remarkable way in our country today. But at the same time that all that's happening, there's lots of bad stuff happening too. There's a tremendous amount of darkness. Kingdoms in conflict. Look at verse uh, 19 for a second. It says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. How does this relate to being an authentic Christian? I think it relates in this way that... True followers of Christ stick with it. True followers of Christ stick with it. I, uh, I read a great quote from one of my heroes, Rich Nathan at the uh, Vineyard in Columbus, Ohio, this week. says, we don't grow by running away. 
We grow through commitment. We don't grow by running away. We grow through commitment. Jesus put it this way. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. The writer of Hebrews says, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. A characteristic of authentic faith is perseverance. It's staying in the game. We don't walk away when things get hard. And, and, and look, I'll be the first to say it would be easier to. I've woken up a number of days and said, you know what? I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need the spiritual warfare and I don't need all this other crap either. There's got to be an easier way to make a living. Uh, you know, I, I, I just want to watch Jeopardy and eat bonbons. I mean, <laughs> leave me alone. Okay? But what John is saying is that those that walk away, this, and I'm not saying this, by the way. Well, I kind of am, but John is. Those that walk away were probably never really with us to begin with. I found it interesting that the word that God gave Zoe this week was the parable of the sower, because in one sense, this is saying the same thing Jesus said when He talked about that seed that fell on rocky soil and it grew up really quick, but then it wilted and, and, and went away, and it wasn't really ever there. If we go back to our original question, what does it mean to be a Christian? Is it because I live in the United States? Is it because I, what, what, is it, what does it mean to be a Christian? John would say that a Christian, you're, you're a true Christian, you're a real follower of Christ if you stick it out. You've got to stay with it till the end. You persevere, you stay in the game. You don't let... The craziness of the world or your personal circumstances remove you from the game. I see it happen too many times. How many Christians do we all know that are just out there on their own? I'll quote another friend of mine today, the famous or infamous Raymond McDonald from Houston, Texas. Raymond says, a lone sheep is a dead sheep. It's kind of funny, but there's a lot of wisdom in that. If you're in the middle of the herd... Is it a herd? No, it's a flock. Flock. Thank you. Burn me. If you're in the middle, it's hard to get picked off. But if you're, if you're hanging out over here, guess what? Coyote bait. Followers of Christ will just commit to sticking it out and staying together. Twenty and twenty one, you have an anointing from the Holy One. All of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, because no lie comes from the truth. The word anointing here is an interesting word because what we think <laughs> this is what when we say anointing, what we usually mean by that is somebody is really good at something. That's what we mean. We say that guy's an anointed worship leader, and what we mean is he's a really good worship leader. Or if that person is an anointed teacher, such an anointed teacher. We just mean he's really good at it. But what the word really means is that the Holy Spirit has led you into a greater understanding of God's purpose, God's will, and God's truth in the world. And because of that, you know the truth, you understand the truth, and you stick it out. You stay with Him. Conversely, though, on the other side of that coin, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, 
See that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain the Son and the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life. The spirit of the Antichrist is a liar. Uh, he denies Jesus and, and, he, and he lives in lies. The ultimate characteristic of the devil and the Antichrist, which, by, by the way here, the, the whole Antichrist thing, so the end of the end, whenever that is, there will be an embodiment. Some, something or someone will embody the Antichrist. But throughout this history of the, that we call the end times, this 2,000 years since Jesus, it, it, it exists as kind of a dynamic, as a spirit, as a presence, as a, as a falsehood that's just permeated sort of through culture, all right? And, and so um, the, the characteristic, the chief characteristic of that spirit is lying. The ultimate characteristic of the devil is, is lying. Jesus said it this way, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him when he lies. He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, here, a true, an authentic, a genuine relationship cannot exist in the midst of lies. We know, we know that about human relationships, right? We can't be, you can't have an authentic relationship with somebody on any level if it's permeated by lies. Well, the same thing is true in a relationship with God. We can't have an authentic relationship with God if there's falsehood in the midst of that relationship. And, and here's my concern about this. I don't think we take it seriously. And I say that because in the hierarchy of sin, you know, we sort of, we do this, we have this sort of, like these sins are bad sins and these sins are not so bad. Lying is kind of down the list. I don't, we don't really make a big deal out of it. You know, I don't see anybody on the street corner with a sign saying, you know, if you lie, you go to hell. If you're gay, oh my goodness, that's bad. But a certain amount of lying is just kind of the way it is. It's just, it's just what, it's just. If we're going to have an authentic relationship with Jesus, if we're going to really be true followers of Christ, we have to live in truth. The the particular lie in question here is that Jesus isn't really God. Jesus is not really God, and. Back to uh, chapter 1, if you remember a few weeks ago, that was the point of this. And, and here's the thing. Look, we might say, you might go, well, yeah, I believe Jesus is God. But lots of people in, in culture today would say Jesus is God. But one of the chief arguments, one of the primary uh, sort of uh, doctrines of the day today, is the biggest criticisms of Christianity, especially by young people, you know, I'm not going to pick on millennials. Everybody does. But um, especially among young people today is that, well, Christianity is so exclusive. How do you know that your truth is more important than my truth? How can you be right and everybody else be wrong? What's that all about? It's a common assertion today. I've talked to people all the time. Well, how do you know you're right and everybody else is wrong? Well, I would say a couple things. First, by faith. I, to me, you know, 
It's not about proving I'm right. This is what I believe. I believe it. But I would say this. If there is a proof to me, the proof would be that Jesus is the only person who raised from the dead. Muhammad didn't raise from the dead. Moses didn't raise from the dead. Buddha didn't raise from the dead. None of them said they were God. Jesus said he was God. To me, that's different. And you go, well, hey, but that's still exclusive. You're still leaving everybody out. And I say, well, I would say this. Well, look, everybody has their own version of truth. Atheists believe they're right. Agnostics believe they're right. Muslims believe they're right. Jews believe they're right. Everybody has their own version of the truth. But I would add this. Jesus is the only one that didn't kill everybody that disagreed with him. Sorry. What did Jesus do? He said, love your enemies. Don't murder the infidels. You love them. He died for them. That's what he did. We pray for those that are different for us. I was, uh, we're late. I don't care. <laughs> Somebody go tell the nursery. <laughs> uh, I need two more minutes and then we'll do You guys can come up. Come up. Come, come now. Come, all of you. Not all, not all of you. Them. Uh, so, so a couple years ago, I was at our food pantry. And uh, there was a man there who, who would come fairly regularly named Sal. Sal is Middle Eastern. I can't remember what country he's from, Syria, I believe. But I was walking out to his car one day, and I said, Sal, how's it going? And, and he said this to me. He goes, it's just hard, man. He, he goes, you know, I'm here in this country. I've been here seven years. My wife is still in Syria, and we've, we've filled out the forms. We've filed. We've done this. We've paid money. We've talked to lawyers, and, and we, we can't, she can't get here. We can't, they won't let her come over here. It's been seven years. I've been, my son, my wife are there. I'm here. And, 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 I, and I, I'm just tired of it. I'm just, so, I'm, just, I'm just so worn out. And I said, gosh, Sal, so I'm, I'm sorry, man. That, that's got to be hard. I can't imagine. And then I said, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you. And what a, it's not a big deal. I'll pray for you. And when I said that, he burst out in tears and just started sobbing. And he looked at me. He goes, no one has ever told me they'd pray for me before. Guy's in his 40s. No one has ever told me they'd pray for me before. What's the difference? That's the difference. We follow a God who says, pray for those who are different than you. Pray for those that persecute you. So I guess in conclusion, I would just say this, that if you have an authentic relationship with Jesus, it's going to transform not only how you live, but how you see the world around you, how you view it. And and and. And how you respond to the time that we live in. We live in a frightening time. But do you, do you pull the covers over your head and live in fear? Or do you say, no, I'm going I'm to walk in the midst of this and be an example for other people and encourage people not to be afraid in the midst of it? Do you give in to the characteristics of the day and you say, everybody else lies, I'll lie too, I'll cheat on my taxes. You know, I'll, I'll cheat my customers. I'll do what everybody else does because that's the only way you can make in this world. Do you say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be different than everybody else. And I'm going to live honestly. And I'm going to live uprightly because that's what God's called me to do. Even if everybody else says no, that's what we're going to do. That's, that's the difference. And that's what an authentic relationship with Jesus looks like. All right, why don't you guys stand up now?